What's up, people? This is your host, Dylan Fox, for this week's Wrestle Update, exclusively covering the AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door 2023 show. And for Scott Edwards, who is still currently on vacation, no, he's not on vacation, he's, he's contractually obligated to uh, not be able to do the AEW shows, but he will be back. He's told me, we've talked about it, he will be back, will be back next week for Money in the Bank, so get ready for Scott to come back. But in his said. I reached out uh, once again to a brand new person joining me for the show that I'm so hyped about, our first ever show together, and somebody who is so happy to be on the show. Uh, I cannot wait to talk to you about this. My good friend, we've known each other for a long time. He's been a supporter of mine on Eastern Lariat. He's written articles for Post Wrestling, another website I have a great relationship with. Please say, say hello to everybody. Say hello to Nello. <laughs> I'm over here like smiling so big right now. What an intro. I'm like, I, I'm ready to just like pop the shirt off and wrestle an actual match. Damn. Thank you. <laughs> wow. The energy is real. <laughs> hey, everybody knows my wrestling background. I, I've been doing these promos since I was 14. So I, <laughs> uh, you know, 15 years plus now uh, at the promo game, I could do it even on the shows on the podcast. But you deserve a, a big intro. You know, you just, we were talking off the air and the stuff we've talked about before. I mean, you know, stuff that we've worked on in the past together with some of your college stuff and everything. You <laughs> literally, to me, are one of the smartest people that I, I know and talk to. I, I, it's like when it comes to the grand scheme of things, like you're so talented and smart, not to, not to, not to kiss your ass on air or anything, to, <laughs> but I just, uh, I'm, I'm being honest right now, I'm very genuine. That, that's what I really think when we were talking earlier and, and even now. So I'm so happy that you reached out to me at first and then I came back to you, uh, you know, and it didn't take too long when you, when you said you wanted to do something with me, I was like, Oh, I'll find something to do. And now we are here at a, a major show, something that's very successful too. Yeah, no, it's wild that we're even here, that there is a Forbidden Door 2. And also, thank you so much. I, I, I really don't know what to say. Um, it's incredibly likewise. I reached out to you, uh, I mean, multiple times now, not to just have, uh, help with my graduate study, to chat wrestling life. Um, but, you know, it's just you are someone who I admire um, incredibly, you know, not just in wrestling, but in many things. And I'm happy to call you a friend and Damn, yeah, Forbidden Door 2. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what we're here for. Although I do like we can extend this uh, Praise Dylan segment if you want to continue that. <laughs> but, but no, no. Um, Forbidden Door 2, um, I think it's worth mentioning, too. I will ask you right away, Have how much of the build-up to this show have you seen? Okay, so I have watched most of it. I think the only thing I miss it's probably just rampage. I've kind of tuned out of rampage, but I've been watching dynamite weekly as well as collision. Okay. That's good. I think you're, you're, we're totally, we're all in this together. I mentioned it off the air. We're <laughs> always united. The one thing we can be united is, is that we do not watch rampage on. <laughs> we, we update everything except for rampage on this show, but collision that's gotten a lot of talk. I mean, AEW's in a very interesting place right now. Uh, before we get into the show itself, I'll kind of give set the table a little bit with this. New Japan, this whole year, has been going through a, I don't want to say transitional phase, because that sounds kind of negative, when in reality it's actually kind of good. We've seen new people get pushed. You know, Sonata, first ever world champion coming in. You get Suji getting a title shot first ever match back after his excursion. 
Hiromu getting a shot as a junior. G1 got all kinds of people and new things. They've been doing a lot of things that they wouldn't have done before. Whereas AEW coming into the show, like, I don't want to say disarray is probably a little strong, but a lot of things were flying around in terms of movie pieces where, oh, we've got this forbidden door. Oh, uh, a few weeks ago, we had the other show, like our, you know, one of our quarterly pay-per-views at Double or Nothing. Oh, we have this new TV show with Collision. Oh, CM Punk hates Ryan Alvarez, and we're going to talk about it on Twitter. It's like all these different things have come across and flown about to where you didn't know what they were going to do to build up the show. But I will say this, compared to last year's Forbidden Door, I personally think that they did a better job. Uh, getting into this show in terms of uh, the dynamites and the collisions where, you know, it felt like last year it was more or less, you know, you had the big thing with Tanahashi, the punk injury happened, so they had to change the title match around. <laughs> Here, they had that amazing segment where that ended with the go-home segment was Okada coming out, uh, uh, you know, to to end the show and they teased the main event effectively here. And the week before that, they had the amazing angles where it was like five different angles in one segment. And it ended with Osprey laying out Omega. So the other big match of the show, they did stuff for each and every match on the show. Even some stuff was more than others, obviously. Like those were the two big ones. But they did the big angle with the five on five match. They had Sonata cut in a promo. They did a match with the international title four way. Obviously, CM Punk and Kojima. And MJF and Tanahashi did their thing. I think they did a much better job this year compared to last year. Uh, what would you be your thoughts on that, Nello? Totally agree. Um, this year, actually, I, I liked the the build with having more New Japan personalities just in matches on television as well. Like, And I wish that, or I hope, that they might even extend it to kind of like the whole month before next time and have Forbidden Door really culminate a lot more storylines that are far more connected. Um, it ideally for me in a perfect world, it's kind of like the fantastic mania equivalent for new Japan in the U S. Um, I think you could like, you know, trim off some of the stuff from the main show and really be able to focus more on like these really main marquee matches as well. Um, but yeah, this year, like just off the top of my head last year, like outside of Moxley and Tanahashi, I can't think of any, like matches that really felt like huge new Japan versus AEW like clashes. And, you know, the, the fan in me has always yearned for those old, like peak ring of honor, war of the worlds, new Japan pay-per-views. And this one felt way more like akin to that. Like when you got Owens and Nakamura, you know, and stuff, um, I don't know. And, it, you know, just in general too, this felt like so much more of an AEW pay-per-view to me than Double or Nothing did. So in in many ways, like I felt like this righted the ship, um, not just for the New Japan and AEW relationship, but just kind of for AEW's identity and like forward momentum in general. Uh, very well said, and I completely agree with that as well. The Double or Nothing show definitely got mixed reviews, to be kind. I think everyone liked it. <laughs> Event and the the maybe the semi main event was a great match as well, but then the rest of the show was pretty negatively received, and the build up especially to the main match, uh, outside of you know the BCC stuff, when it came to the world title, it was negative. Like a lot of the stuff they were doing on TV, and it even led to, I think we saw on this show with the, the turn we're going to talk about, and obviously the start of the show, but 
for all intents and purposes, this took place from Toronto, uh, up in Canada. So shout out to all my friends up north <laughs> out there. I have a delicious relationship with Canada. Uh, they were at the Scotiabank Arena, and I thought it was interesting because they asked them on the pre-show call or whatever uh, the call they had, uh, where you know you could you could call in or whatever. They had. Somebody asked him about running the Rogers Center compared to uh, this arena, considering that this show did so well for them. And we talked about it last, you know, from a drawing business perspective, a lot of the ticket sales have been talked about a lot for both Dynamite, Collision, and even Double or Nothing uh, have not been super great. But for this special show, similar to the England show they're going to do uh, all in, that is super successful. This show did a ton of success. Everybody was interested to see New Japan and AEW, and it was so refreshing to me because for a long time, and even now you'll see some guys grip to this. It's hard to argue this now considering it sold out, and it did such a great show. Like, uh, I think there was like a few hundred uh, left over uh, overall according to, t- to Ticketmaster or whatever, but there, there's an audience for the Japanese wrestlers coming over in AEW. The fans react acted and treated these men as the superstars that they are in Japan. And for so long, that was something that was kind of considered taboo. Like, oh, the fans, the casual fans or the normal fans or whatever, won't know anything about these foreign talents from Japan. But that's proven to not be true when it comes to the AEW audience. You see a reaction. You you heard this crowd (laughs) for some of the top-tier matches on the show. These people paid to see these guys. And they treated them so righteous. I mean, even Okada coming out on Dynamite at the end got a huge pop. Naito got a huge pop on Collision. These these fans totally recognized their game. Totally. And, uh, you know, what's extra fascinating about this is that it's a, an American company going to war with a Japanese company in Canada. So obviously there's a lot of people traveling for the show but we're not even focusing in on like their general american audience here right this is an even smaller market technically of quote unquote even like you know fans it's going to be a smaller community or whatever but this is like one of the top three gates in canadian wrestling history or something so you know just it's something i've really enjoyed this year in general is the international WWE PLEs, you know, like if there was a time magazine award for like fan of the year, it would be Canada. I'm convinced this year they've been like one of the most fun audiences to watch. And you can tell like, it feels like way more. It feels like one of like the Toronto, like definitely feels like one of the strongest wrestling cities right now. I completely agree with that. I love how you're giving the fan of the year to the whole country. It's not just yes. <laughs> every single person in Canada and all of the provinces are now the Time Magazine Fan of the Year Award winner, according to Nello. And, and I appreciate that. Like I said, I have a lot of friends in Canada. Like some people that are very close to me live up there uh, all across from Toronto to B.C. Uh, I've got a lot of love for Canada. And they had a lot of love for wrestling. And we already – we already knew that for a long time, even at WWE when I was a kid, a lot of times they would call it Bizarro World because the fans of Toronto were so passionate that they would boo the baby faces and love the heels and that they weren't calling it Bizarro World here. though. So they were letting the crowd do whatever they wanted and there were some interesting reactions and some interesting matches. So the, the show itself started off 
with obviously the big start of the show. You've got Excalibur, Kevin Kelly, and Taz uh, on the on the mic here as, as commentators. What do you think of Kevin Kelly's integration to this show? Obviously, he's known. If you're a fan of Japanese wrestling, as the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling, he's the, the play-by-play guy, <laughs> along with Chris Cholton, obviously. But he is one of the main voices of, of the show. And in AEW, he's recently started commentating for Collision itself, him and Nigel McGuinness. What do you think of Kevin Kelly's integration as and the commentary team as a whole? I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, um, so I, I'm a big fan of Excalibur and Taz and Tony. Um, yeah. I think that they bring an element of commentary to the show um, that you don't get in a lot. Like, I like it when you can hear genuine conversation and kind of just like that, just the banter, right? And like the sort of smaller moments sometimes, like it keeps like this very well-rounded relationship. It's almost like the the bar you go to and it's always the same bartenders behind. And it's like the, I don't know. It's like the cute relationship that flourishes. I've really enjoyed Kevin and Nigel on collision. It's funny because I think that Kevin can very much capture that same sort of like playful energies, Excalibur and Taz, but he can do it in so much more of like a sort of like low key, sarcastic F you like sardonic sort of F you way. Um, like when the evil title reign was going on and it's just like dead silent or whatever. And he's like, you can hear the fans love evil. Um, and I feel like he's just very good at getting those things in. Um, I remember like him, he was like beefing with the ROH commentary sometimes or something on like the new Japan commentary. But so it's, it's funny. He's in AEW now, but I've really been enjoying him. Um, I like him. I think like when I watch new Japan, I always watch it with the Japanese commentary, but I really have enjoyed what he's brought to AEW so far. Me too. I, I really enjoy him. I think him and Nigel have a lot of potential as a team. Uh, together, obviously, a new team coming in, new vibes. Uh, Nigel, I think, still has some, uh, I don't want to say rust, but I think his WWE centrified style is going to take a little bit of adjustment into the AEW style. But overall, I still enjoy him a lot, though, and, and love what they have to say here, like you said, I agree with you. I'm a big fan of Excalibur. Taz, I think, is one of the best as a color guy. And Shivani, like he he brings, like you said, that's the perfect way to describe him, like the bartender, like vibe, you know. <laughs> Somebody who doesn't really add a lot technically, like explaining the moves, but he helps the vibe of the broadcast. And I think that is especially needed with Excalibur, who is a great at technical stuff and, and knowing the backstories of everybody. But I think he, he goes, he's so in his own head and so fast sometimes that the vibe can be a little too much for some people. But I think Shivani balances that out really well. And Taz is just great, in my opinion. Yeah, Excalibur's like go home slates scare me. They induce anxiety <laughs> now. It's so much. It's it's like the end of like a medical commercial. I'm just like I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, my final side effects listed. Exactly, yeah. it's too many. <laughs> yeah, the side effects are you know you'd be like, oh, this will cure your runny nose. And side effects are rectal bleeding, anal exam, yeah. and death. Yeah, just so yeah. quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and all of it. Yeah. So, but I think that Shivani does a good job of balancing that out a little bit. But the first match of the show that we got right away to the action, and they mentioned that MJF specifically asked for his world title match to go on first <laughs> because, as we know, the place everyone wants to be 
is at the start of the show, <laughs> of course. Uh, but he challenged, or he opened the show defending his title against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Their build to this was basically, they did a thing where they told him that, hey, you're going to wrestle Tanahashi <laughs> at the pay-per-view. And MJF was like, what? No, I'm not. I'm going to no-show this show. And then they did a thing. He's also been feuding with Adam Cole on Dynamite right now. And they had a really great match, in my opinion, a couple of weeks ago uh, that where it went to the time limit draw. I thought it was so well done. The promos that they've cut, I haven't loved a lot, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm just not a big fan of saying somebody's on steroids on your show. That's the one thing we have to separate on. But <laughs> And also, uh, will they – can they coexist tag team stories? I don't think we need more of those, but listen, AEW has decided to grant us that. But the match was great, and then they did a thing where basically like, hey, if you don't wrestle Tanahashi, you are a coward. And he's like, I'm not a coward. I'll wrestle Tanahashi, fine. So they did that, and then the first thing you you see here is uh, MJF comes out with New Japan is an indie <laughs> written on his his uh, jacket that he had on. And they come in, and Tanahashi plays with the crowd. They do stuff with the air guitar. And Tanahashi's like, he's riling the crowd up, and they start chanting coward at MJF here. They do a lot of stuff going in there. And in this match, uh, they I also liked a, a thing I wanted to mention about the commentary, too. They hit this on the head right away <laughs> that I think was so cool that they pointed it out. They mentioned this match that Tanahashi would have trouble because on the night before on Collision, he slipped on the top rope on the high-five flow attempt. So on this show, they mentioned it right away. The turnbuckles in AEW are different than the turnbuckles in New Japan. New Japan has the one long turnbuckle. This one has the traditional one, two, three on there. So they did a lot of things there to really emphasize there's differences between the Japan promotion and the AEW promotion going in there. Uh, in the end, it came down with uh, Tanahashi getting a, a false finish on the the schoolboy. Uh, you know, he wasn't able to get the win because the referee is distracted. MGF, uh, we had a little bit of a bump with Bryce, who was the referee. He grabs the diamond ring, which is his gimmick, nails Tanahashi with it, and it gets the win uh, in about 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, what did you think of this match here? Uh, so when I was going into it, I was looking forward to the character work between the two. Um, on paper, like this really feels like the perfect matchup for both men, at least like in terms of who could happen right now. Uh, Tadahashi is the ultimate babyface versus just the absolute decrepit bastard MJF. Um, and I liked, I liked how MJF made fun of his knees like the entire buildup, or I shouldn't say I liked that. What I liked was that the whole match, like Tanahashi destroyed MJF's knees, um, which felt like kind of a funny little F you. But overall, like the big vibe I got from this match, and I mean this in the most positive way possible, is Kento Miyahara versus Abdullah Kobayashi from like last year in terms of getting the most out of the littlest, like purely thriving off character work, um, MJF, like the way he used the ring, like, uh, the wrestling ring against Tanahashi, not his diamond one. Um, but you know, just always grabbing the ropes using different momentum against each other. Like I, I really noticed here just how 
like how much the the ropes themselves play into MJF's repertoire. Um, and you know, he's not just grabbing the rope, he's like twisting and accentuating his arm as he extends it out. And again, those are the little things that I think helped breathe life into this match. Um, and like even more on that all Japan wave, uh, like, uh, Bryce Remsburg and MJF, I feel like Bryce has been refing a lot of his matches and while he's missing a lot of shit still, um, like, he's calling MJF out on certain things, right? He's holding him accountable, and it, it gives me those, like, Kyohei Wada, Kento Miyahara vibes a little bit, okay. um, which which I enjoy. So, yeah, like, I, I didn't expect, like, a, a crazy work match, but I definitely got what I was hoping for out of it, which was just a really nice meeting of two larger-than-life characters. What about you? I love that comparison point because it's one I never thought about, but now that you said it, it totally is perfect for for <laughs> these two at the end of the day. Uh, Wada and the spots they have together with MGF, I love the way you accentuated how MGF uses his surroundings, both the ring and the ref itself. And I think that they were able to get the character work over. Like you said, Tanahashi was great on offense. I think we all knew that this – I mean, it going on first, we knew that this was not going to be this epic, you know, Tanahashi-Okada style of match. I don't think any – Anybody was expecting that, really, but I think for what they gave us for a 2023 Tanahashi and MJF match, I think it was an effective match. I question it being in the opener. I would have rather had something with a little bit more sizzle to it, <laughs> like I like the four-way match to me. I think mm-hmm. I, that would have been my opener because I think you would have gotten the crowd <laughs> like a little bit. I mean, the crowd didn't need any help warming up anyway. This crowd was on fire <laughs> for everything. They're chanting along with Tanahashi. My other criticism for this match, uh, the spot where, like, the finishing stretch of the match, we've seen basically MJF do this exact same deal mm-hmm. with the ring and the ref where, oh, he goes for something, he grabs something, but the ref will grab it away from him, it'll be a big pop and all that, but then he turns around to get rid of it, and then suddenly MJF will have another weapon that he uses to cheat behind the ref's back and win. We've seen that a bunch of times with him. And I would like to see a little bit more variety, which I thought they had in the match with Adam Cole, where you had basically the turnaround, uh, the Eddie Guerrero spot with the title. They they flipped it around and subverted it. I thought it was so good. And we know how talented he is. We know he can do that. So I'd like to see maybe subvert those expectations a little bit more. But against Tanahashi, you really didn't need to, you know, rewrite the book. This was a basic match between a very over baby face and a very over heel and they played to the crowd that was there they worked like they should have and i think that the match rating right now a cage match is 6.46 which i think is about fair in my opinion this is of that three-star vein to me where it's not great but it's not bad it was a fine opener uh and we knew that the work rate matches were coming like later in the show so this didn't have to be that way i thought it was good for what it wanted to be. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah. With like MJF's finishes, right? The the guy claims to claims to be the best of his generation. All this stuff, and I really like. I don't have a problem so much with like you know heel finishes like that. But it's like I know that they can be more creative, and I think that's what gets me. Like as you said, we've seen it before. Um, and then even going like, you know, into the women's match later, it's just, 
give us something different. And it's, yeah, it's not even like reinventing the wheel, but just a different avenue. And I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think you needed to protect Tanahashi here necessarily. I think you could have had MJF get a pretty strong definitive win. I always prefer yeah. when a heel like is like a Gunther heel in terms of like they win and they're good, right? Like they, they make people look strong as hell, but they're able to win still. Like I really prefer that. But um, yeah, like you said, like overall just a fun meeting of characters and I'm grateful that we got that. It was a cool way to kick off the show. Like just, I guess in terms of the image, right. Of just MJF and Tanahashi in the ring. Cause I'm like, dude, I was watching this guy on MLW like four years ago, you know, and what a long way he's come yeah. <laughs> since those days. But I said, if it were me, I would continue to play in into his gimmick of this overinflated ego. I would have him come on Dynamite and brag about how he had the match of the night on Forbidden Door. Where he outworked all the Japanese talent and had the greatest <laughs> Tanahashi match of all time uh, on here, even though it was what it was. I want him to use this as a heel going forward and do that. But like you said, I don't mind a heel finish when it has purpose. I don't like it when it's so generic and you do it over and over and over like this one. So I, I just want them to do something a little bit different uh, is my only criticism, but it makes sense for MJF's character. And the next match was the first round of the Owen Hart cup. Uh, you know, they, we had the first round of the tournament CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima and yeah, I, I guess, uh, what are your feelings on the chick magnet? I know he's a controversial figure <laughs> in the world. I went from, like, I went from crying when he returned to just being, like, <sighs> like, crying hate watching collision. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. And it's, it's not, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, when Cody, like, went to WWE, kind of. It's one of those things where, like, when you watch characters, when you quote-unquote buy into people, it's based off, like, what they say, right? So when it's so, like, war against WWE for so long, and that's, like, what you make your personality, and then you're, like, go to WWE, it's, like, harder for me to take you serious, right? Um, And with Punk, like, I don't know, just that Sports Illustrated review rubbed me the worst way, and his promo when he came back, like, I think that there's a distinction between, like, being gruff and anti-hero and standing your ground and like just, but like still like showing accountability. Um, because like, it's not just that like he got in a fight. It's like, he really fucked up this company for a very good amount of time, multiple times and has taken shine off them, you know, for really silly reasons. The guy posts a Rocky picture on his Instagram or whatever and takes like, takes the stuff out of like a John Moxley match or whatever. That was incredible. Right. Um, so when he was doing the whole, like, oh my God, Adam Page hit me in my mouth and then I had a bad match. And then he says, the only thing softer than you are your, are your favorite wrestlers. I'm like, dude. And I feel like in a year, he's going to be like, oh, when Kojima elbow dropped me, man, in the nuts, like, I had to protect myself. I know what was going to happen next. (laughs) It's just, it's all very, like, I mean, I don't want to get, like, too psychologically into it, but it feels like he plays the victim a lot and, I don't know, with Punk is one of those characters, right, that bleeds so much between reality and on screen. Um, like, he, it's, it's very hard to separate the art from the artist with him sometimes. And as a sort of social figure that's always speaking on change and, you know, equality, equity, just everything, right? 
it's like if you're lacking such awareness about yourself, do I actually believe the things that you are saying? And at this point, I don't really. He kind of feels like a little baby. Um, like the last thing I'll say is this <laughs> return match on Collision. Everyone was working their asses off, and it felt like he was like the kid where their brothers were like, all right, man, you can come, and they're kind of like helping him with the spots. Um, that said, I like this match. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, what, what have you thought so far about Punk's return and everything? Anybody who knows me, I've hated that bastard for over a decade now, <laughs> like long, long, long before any of this happened. Um, I have to admit, though, that I thought his promo, when he came back, was perfect for a heel character <laughs> at the end of the day. Like, I thought it was so good. He, just like you said, no accountability taken. He hasn't <laughs> changed at all. He hasn't learned anything from any of this. He just can't help himself from being the gigantic prick that he is destined to be. <laughs> Blaming everyone, taking shots. My only complaint about that promo, if he had joined the crowd, because at the end they all said, fuck the elite, he should have said it with them. <laughs> like, they get everybody riled up, and it seems like every, like, it seems like from what I can tell, <laughs> everything was cleared. And, uh, you know, everything's better on a personal side, at least, uh, they're better with them uh, stuck on opposite sides of the building, like it's reported that happened, <laughs> whereas Punk and Omega were on opposite sides of the building. I think, there's, to me, from my analyst hat that I'm putting on right now, from a business perspective, I said this uh, on the first episode of the Collision Review last episode, where there's money to me in teasing that they will be okay and have a match, even if they never do it. If they could just leave little hints that they're okay with each other enough to work together, and maybe without even working together, just have it be a tease to where, hey, he keeps mentioning the Young Bucks, he keeps trolling Omega, he keeps talking trash, he keeps playing into the booze. We saw him do the Hogan routine two nights in a row, like in, in Toronto. I think that there's money to be made. I think if he's going to be just a normal babyface type of guy – that that's a really big mistake. I just don't think that he can pull that off effectively. And no matter what, from a personal level, I do think something will happen eventually to make him unhappy and for things to hit the fan again. And I don't know what it will be, who it will be, but that's something that would always be in my mind if I ran the company. Uh, so you have to be very careful with him, in my opinion. But uh, the match was good. No, I, I, I agree with you. I do watch him sometimes, and I feel like I'm watching everyone else in HD vision, and then he's going at, like, 20 FPS at the same time, you know? He's buffering. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's kind of how I feel like watching him sometimes uh, in the matches. But with something like this, we got all the hits. The crowd was booing him early. Uh, we got the we got the elbow not, elbow drop to the nuts. I don't know why he did that, why Coach Bud did that. Maybe he is, a, he is a Young Bucks supporter, and he wanted to do it for the fans. But he did it. They did stuff. They did. They did a reference to CM Punk's old shoot interview about homicide <laughs> in this Kojima, match. Kojima. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Again, I don't know who this is appealing to outside of the truly uh, depraved among us that saw that and knows about that. But which I am one of them, so I appreciated it. But we saw everything with the machine gun chops. I like the little mini story they told, too, where he did the Tenzan chops, the Mongolian chops, mm -hmm. and he was constantly dodging the lariat. 
uh, that was the, like, they kind of told the story in the match that Kojima, he's old, he's probably not going to win, but if he gets the Lariat, that is his kill shot that he can use to turn the tide. And he dodged it a bunch, and then in the end, uh, he, Punk was able to dodge it even more and hit the uh, go to sleep for the win. Afterwards, they showed respect, and uh, he'll face the winner of Samoa Joe and Roger Strong in the semifinals, which I think most people expect will be Joe. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but I thought the match was good. I thought this was an upgrade over the opener, actually. Agreed. It felt so much bigger than just a Owen Hart first round matchup. Um, like, okay, going back to what we were saying with Punk being like a baby face, you know? Yeah. Like the, the sort of main cast of Collision, it's like all heels pretty much with the exception of like Starks and Punk. And I feel like, you know, with Punk at least, like Cody never really played into the heel stuff. But like here, right? Punk doing the Mongolian chops, you know, really like that sort of deep cut mocking of Kojima. Um, like, like you said, the homicide podcast, it's like those little things that cut deep and you know, he's being a dick. Right. And I think that's, what's nice is that he at least leans into that, that moral grayness. Right. Um, I thought Punk did a really good job of selling Kojima's strength. Um, like, well, I listened to the Wrestling Observer Radio or whatever today, and Dave was like, yeah, this is great for Kojima. You know, he doesn't get shots like this anymore. And I was like, he main evented Cyberpunk. <laughs> That's still like, have you have you followed Kojima the past year, Dave? Um, yeah, was it Champion this- Carnival? Main evented shows in Champion Carnival just a couple months ago as well? Yeah, like just had a tag team run, uh, tag title run with Segura. Like, he's he's probably had like one of the best years <laughs> of his career as of late. Um so I, he, I thought this was way better because um, if I'm not mistaken, he had like a one-off match with Moxley as well. And I thought this one was better. Um, they really did a lot of great character work. I liked the peck, the peck pumps by Kojima. <laughs> yeah, uh, good. I, I think that Punk needs to stop doing his opponent's things. Like you said, he is dial-up cardio Phil. Um, like... CM Punk, I feel like one of his allures has always been that he's a very sloppy wrestler, but it's in like an almost endearing sense sometimes. Like that, that slow roundhouse, like the, the chonky knee in the corner, right? Um, but like whenever he does other people's stuff, like the buckshot layered, I'm like, no, okay, see, it's charming when you do your things, but other people, it's just glaring. Uh, loved the Mongolian chops and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Really great showing by Kojima. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with the Owen Hart tournament. Who do you think is going to take it? Yeah, the way the brackets are, like I said, CM Punk's already won. Joe and Roderick are the opposite matchup. And then on the other side, you get uh, Will Hobbs and Dustin Rhodes on one match, and then Ricky Starks and Juice Robinson on the other. I think that, to me, Punk shouldn't win this, in my, in my opinion. I think that somebody else needs it more. And would be elevated. Every, it's all long been said that he loves Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation. Uh, even for me, Owen Hart is literally my idol when I wrestled. So I was so hyped for him to, to get this recognition. And I'm sure he would love to win it, but I hope that it goes to somebody else. Uh, I think, depending on how this goes, I think I wish it was Roderick that would win because he's like one of my fa- my top guys in AEW. But I think it'll be Joe considering what they've set up. I could see Joe beating Punk 
and that leading to more in the future. That's like Punk's first big win because he's not going to go for the title right now. He needs a, a feud and a program that he needs to accomplish something with. So he's never beaten Punk. Uh, we obviously call back to the Ring of Honor series 20 years ago with the Iron Man match and all that stuff. I think that gives him a mountain to climb. Joe could beat Punk, and then Ricky Starks beats Joe, and that is the way to set it up. You beat Starks' rivals. You get the big win. You heat him up a little bit because he's been – the Jay White feud's really not been great for him. You get him a new run, uh, a fresh coat of paint almost with this Owen Hart title. I think he's a great person to hold it as well. Yeah. No, I'm uh, – what is it? Stark, Stark Daddy all the way? Stroke so. Daddy. <laughs> Stroke Daddy. Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry, Ricky. Um, <laughs> no, I'm all in on Starks. He – when I saw AEW Live um, – I think this is back in February. It's my first time seeing them live. But, like, it was Ricky Starks, Emmy Sakura, and Jeff Jarrett were, like, the three best live performers there. Every single thing, like, they were just so connected to the the crowd, the moment, and they just, like, everything they did, it was just no wasted movement, no wasted breath. It, it was just, like, three legends. It's probably my three favorite wrestlers now. Just kidding. But, like, it's pretty sick. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with those being – Emi Sakura, I love her. I love her. 10 out of 10 legend in my book. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, Hendersonville's finest. I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. I will never say a bad word about Double J on this show. And Stroke Daddy, I'm doing his pose right now. We don't have it on video, but I, <laughs> I just did his shout out there. Uh, so shout out to Ricky Starks. I we think- love Ricky Starks. I think Hobbs, I hope to see him get a push on Collision 2. I think that guy has a ton of powerhouse. We need to see him do some big things right now. Whenever that music hits, I get a little bit hyped. I thought his run with the TNT title was cut way too short. Uh, If he's a guy, if if Punk does beat Joe, I'd like to see Hobbs get it. If, If Punk beats Joe, I want Hobbs to win. If Joe beats Punk, I want Ricky to win. Likewise. No, I think that's great. And like, okay, I got to see Hobbs at Defy wrestle Rocky Romero and they went like 20 minutes and it was infinitely better than any match I've seen Hobbs have in AEW. And it was such a different style of match than he typically wrestles. Um, and I really, I can't wait to see that Hobbs like on TV. I think he's also someone that's just like had a lot of like, I mean, we're not, who's going to pretend like QTV is going to benefit this guy? <laughs> I don't know whose idea that was. It's the same thing as like Swerve with this Trench and Parker guy. Because I was like, Mogul Embassy, like they are a good fit for him. But I wish that those were the initial affiliates because now it's just one of those weird like, oh, well, we don't know what to do with X and Y. So let's just make them X, Y, right? Uh, I digress, though. I can't get into my Hobbs rant right now. Uh, no, no, but I, but I, I would totally be down if he won too. <laughs> like both of those guys have ton of potential, and we know that Punk likes both of them, <laughs> supports them, and wants them to to get pushed as well. So I think either one of those are my picks. Uh, hopefully, Swerve gets something now that you brought him up because that guy freaking rocks. I, I I love him. I think that he's one of the best overall talents on the roster. Yeah. But, but I do agree with you. Up next was the international title four way match. We saw this built on dynamite with the tag as well. Danny Garcia, Katsuyori Shibata, the Ring of Honor TV champion right now, Zack Sabre Jr., all challenging Orange Cassidy for the international title. And they brought a new wrinkle to OC's game with new pyro that he had here. And by pyro, I mean like 
sparklers, <laughs> maybe <laughs> something like that. Very weak pyro, very funny <laughs> here, uh, and, I, and I love that. But to me, I thought this match, this was even a bigger step up from the last match. I thought uh, where all action, this was like an eleven and a half minute match that didn't go overly long. I thought some of the exchanges here with everybody, anybody Zach was working with was like great. I thought, I thought he did a fantastic job of the match. And then Shibata coming in, he was not as integral as Zach in my opinion to the match, but Shibata, when he picked his spots was fantastic. Like one of the highlights of the match, like him just drilling Garcia. It's so good. I just, I love that part so much. Uh, Garcia, he did his dance. He, you know, it's really kind of his deal right now, playing into his JAS gimmick that he's got. Uh, he was a lot of fun as a heel stooge pretty, pretty much in the match. And OC did his thing that he, he's been doing in this thing. By the end of it, it's like there was tons of action with all four of them. They were getting it together. And uh, basically, they did a thing where Shibata hit the penalty kick on Garcia, but then... Cassidy like shoved Shibata out of the ring and Shibata was about to win but OC stole it and I thought that was a great wrinkle to his character and then Zach had you know he basically challenged everybody he was like I want matches with you and Cassidy we need to have a match right now and then you know Cassidy and Shibata actually they kind of had mutual respect afterwards even though uh, Cassidy stole the belt from, from Shibata here but I thought this was a lot of fun not anything that'll win the match of the year award but the crowd was hot and these guys all worked really hard and did a great job I thought what about you yeah this was probably my second favorite match on the show actually um, it was such a fat like once all four were in the ring I was just like damn, these are like four of the best technicians right now, and they're going to have a fatal four-way. And then right when it started, I was like, yeah, this is going to be sick. <laughs> and it get another like match that it brought me back to, were you a big PWG head back in the day? I've seen some of those shows. I wasn't a huge fan of theirs, but I am familiar. Okay, I think it's either DDT 2014 or 15, but it was a fatal four-way between Chris Hero, Johnny Gargano, Kyle O'Reilly, and Drake Younger of all people, but it was just like nonstop action. Perfect. Like, I don't, it's very rare to get such fluid technical wrestling. I feel like in multi-man matches like this, um, just because it's usually so many spots. So you have like the two guys in the middle and they're kind of just running through their stuff. Um, but no, I really, really love this. Uh, Daniel Garcia doing the dance and like how he brought more oomph into it after each strike. I loved, um, like, ever since he debuted that back in God, Faye Jackson's Great Sweatpants Battle Royal, I've just been the biggest Daniel Garcia fan. Um, yeah, fast as hell, every spit, uh, every spot hit. I loved, there was a call by Excalibur where he said Orange Cassidy is a walking infirmary. I loved that. Like, just the whole Orange Cassidy reign is maybe my favorite in wrestling right now. Like, it's, it's getting up there, like, not even to, try to sound like <laughs> dramatic, but like that, like Goshiyazaki, <laughs> like I'm like, this is so good and I'm so into it and I'm so invested. Like, I guess it's, I haven't been this invested in a ring in a long time. Um, I loved the standing ovation after the Shibata and Zack Sabre Jr. sequence. Like their relationship feels very special and intimate in the way of like Shibata's like special return match, right? And that five minute, um, UWF rules thing. Uh, like, I just really like watching their story continue. And I like 
I, I don't know if you heard me, but when you were talking about the stealing the pin, I was like, oh my gosh, because I wrote adds a great wrinkle into his reign as well. Um, going back to like what we were saying with MJF and that sort of tired finish, right, that we've seen. Mm-hmm. This is a finish that we've seen a hundred times, but here they figured out how to recontextualize it, right? And have it mean something because as far as I know, this is the first time I've seen OTC do this. So we can see like this was a total desperation act. So it feels like we're getting closer and closer to the end of this reign. And yeah, just Shibata and OC's relationship from last year till now as well. Like we are spoiled as wrestling fans right now. It's, like, Joey Janela's spring break used to be one night a year, and now it feels like we're just constantly living in its bizarre world, and I am here for it. <laughs> 24-7 spring break right now. Before <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, here's the thing. I totally agree with what you said about Cassidy's title reign. I have one kind of glaring flaw, because I don't have any criticisms about the performance. Everything they've done has been so great and cool. I just, the thing that I don't like about it, and I can't fully ever move past, because I, I mean, I love the title reign in terms of performance. The man portraying this character is doing awesome. I don't love that this character, this lazy character, is portrayed as the workhorse of AEW. He is the <laughs> lazy workhorse, is his gimmick, which just doesn't vibe with me. If it was like a Roderick Strong doing this same gimmick, that works for me, like a hard-nosed, like hard-working dude. I'm down with that. OC, it's like, you're the lazy guy. Like, that's your thing. But you, in reality, you're not. You're the hardest working guy on the roster. So uh, it's kind of like, you know, fighting gimmicks, a battle of your own gimmicks, sort of with the title right. But I love the performances, and I love what he's done with it. Like, performance-wise and booking-wise, how it's gone, I think it's fantastic. I just think his character doesn't fit this amazing run that he's on. Uh, totally like that paradox is absolutely there i would i would propose that like the cute inverse is that maybe he's finally found something to care about i mean other than his best friends supposedly but (laughs) we're not maybe seeing that but uh maybe after he loses we'll see like a shift or something he just goes back to nothing or he's like damn i really like that i should do better but no totally agree on that paradox that's funny i never even thought about that the lazy workhorse but i I can't criticize what they're doing because it's so good it's like okay this there's a logic gap here but who cares so like it's it's still good at the end of the day and i like your idea though that's very romantic that he's finally found something to care about after all all these years Uh, i wish i could find that too uh but uh, oc (laughs) beat me as well uh here uh and beat everybody for the title and i can't wait to see the singles matches i set up too i hope they get around to them uh sooner rather than later uh, I cannot wait to see them. So next up, we had the other world title match. The first match, the AEW title is at the start of the show. And then we had the IWGP world title match here. Sonata, the IWGP world champion, making his way into Canada with the belt to take on Jungle Boy Jack Perry. And, of course, we had Hook and Doki at ringside. Let's not forget. I know everybody has to talk about Hook because of what happened. But let's not forget about Doki here. Super over in Canada. Uh, so we had to say here. But um, the match, I actually thought as a match, this was a little better than the opener. But it had none of the heat to it. 
Like, like the crowd wasn't with this. Uh, uh, you know, there was the first match had more charm, even if they wrestled better in this match. Does, does that make sense? I no, I think you nailed it like so well. I completely agree. And I think that ultimately, I mean, you look at this match. It's a shame that it's the title match because ultimately this was like a ten minute setup to the angle. <laughs> Afterwards, more than anything, although we also have to shout out that Red Shoes was here to referee this here. They did some things early on where uh, Perry actually locked in the snare trap early on uh, to kind of try and, and maybe had a little bit of a hot start to it. But Sonata got to the ropes. Uh, they did that early on. Sonata tried to fire up the fans, but it, it wasn't that effective. They tried to get it behind him a little bit, but it it wasn't the greatest uh, they did some things where Sonata uh, kicked his ass, literally, at one point with the Paradise Lock, obviously. <laughs> um, and Perry fired back a little bit um, with a Tiger Driver. Uh, he got a big thing there. Sonata came in. They did, did a little bit of a near falls as Jack tried to get the crucifix, but that didn't work. And Jack even used the uh, Dragon Sleeper at one point. But Sonata got to the ropes after that. And in the end, despite having his new move, the deadfall, he went to the tried and true rounding body press, the moonsault for the win after 10 minutes. And yeah, I, th- I didn't think this was a bad match. It just, the, it didn't feel special. And like I said, by the end of it, I thought, okay, this is kind of like a nothing setup to the angle is the more important thing afterwards. Yeah, like going into it, I was this was one of the matches I was more excited for, honestly. Um, you know, when we're at Forbidden Door, I don't think anyone is ever expecting the world titles of either company to switch hands. Um so like I mean, I think this match would have been better without the world title stipulation because on paper it's it's just a really really good matchup between the two stylistically. Um like they had some really great uh great sequences. I loved the crucifix into the fireman's carry into the skull end like counter sequence um i loved the trading poison ranas and then like sonata hit like a crazy clean one and then right into the shining wizard um so yeah no and i I totally agree like uh this was a better worked match than the opener um it just felt like yeah the heat wasn't there it got kind of lost um again i think that the world title stipulation kind of hurt it in the sense of like there's no real tension or believability that Jack's going to pull this off, but no, this, this was a good match. And I think that it shows how spoiled we are where people are like, Meh. so yeah, no, I, I was very happy with it. And it's wild to see a 10 minute IWGP title match. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I know it's the popular thing to hate on jungle boy lately. Uh, and I will admit the promos. Yes, he's bad at them. But as a wrestler, you look at his track record, he's delivered constantly, <laughs> like his in-ring performances, whether it's regular singles matches, multi-man matches, tag matches with Jungle Hook, <laughs> gimmick matches. He had the big cage match with Luchasaurus, which was like a great match. The match with Christian, the Buried Alive, was above expectations. Jungle Boy's good. Like, like I, I, I know it's popular to hate on him, but as a wrestler, he's a talented guy. It's just the promos turned everyone on him, you know, and everything. But they've they've neglected that other fact. You know, he, somebody can be bad at one thing but great at another. And I think that's the case with him. 
uh, overall. So uh, I think we need to give Jungle Boy his respect here, Jack Perry. Um, afterwards, like I said, there was the angle. Um, Hook was like bored by this match. It, it looked like afterwards they cut to him looking really like, you drug me out here for this lame 10 minute match. <laughs> and then afterwards he turned around to leave and then Jack Perry attacked him and beat him down, turned heel, no more jungle hook. And at the end, Taz said, Jack Perry is a dead man. That's <laughs> his closing line. Okay. Maybe this match is deeper than I was like first thinking because when you described Jack Perry, it just made me think, damn, Jack Perry is who Sonata was before he had just five guys. And so him turning heel after this and maybe getting some character. And I like that the heel turn is sent around a title, obviously, that stands for fuck the world. I just yeah. <laughs> that edge, like that total. It's like uh, uh, he's rebelling against everything, not just hook. Um, but yeah, like maybe it's like Sonata was like, hey, man, I'm cool now. It's like uh, with Ben K, Cheeky Cheeky, it's like that glow up, right? And now Jack Perry needs to get his just five guys glow up. So maybe it's the passing of the torch in terms of you're the bland guy that needs change now, but you're really good at wrestling still. Maybe, uh, you know, get his girlfriend <laughs> with him, Anna Jay. You know, it, it got Sammy booed a lot. You could, you, Jack Perry can be hateable. Like if you if you tease the relationship with them, that's something that's very easy heat. I, I say find some bodyguards for him, you know, some big dudes, uh, form this faction, give him everything because I think if you put he's got the stake, perfect. It's the sizzle surrounding it that he's missing. So give him mm. what you need to, you know, give him a new look maybe. Get rid of the theme music. It's got to be something else, you know. Have him come out with new gear, you know, all serious type of stuff. He could work as a heel, in my opinion. And uh, I think him and Hook are the fans are going to rally behind that because they love Hook so much. That I think that alone is going to make that make that work pretty much. And like you said, it's a great story of him needing a title. He's lost out on every title challenge he's had, so now he goes to his friend's title. Like he needs to get the title, so now he gets the FTW title here. So I, I really like the storytelling of Jack Perry and his character in AEW as well. Yeah. It's in that next chapter. I'm excited. Um, I feel like this is going to be hooks first real feud that feels like it has actual emotion and drama to it. It's not just like him. Are you telling me you weren't moved to tears by that Stokely Hathaway program? Okay. No, actually that was high art. So I just wanted to break that up. Uh, people always remember that that stunning lawn take down the hallway full of a cast so well dressed <laughs> criterion collection moment no that <laughs> stokely is really he gets it he gets yeah, like totally when i think of people who get wrestling i'm like stokely hathaway mao those are the two first people that come to mind <laughs> awesome <laughs> um but from there, we did not have Mao in the next match, although we did have DDT alumni uh, DDT alumni in the next match where you had Kanosuke Takeshita teaming with Shota Umino and the BCC, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Utah, and John Moxley to take on the elite Hangman Page, the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, Eddie Kingston, and Tomohiro Ishii from New Japan. This is a hot take, probably. But this was my match of the night on this show. I love this match. Uh, I thought it was one of the best of the whole year in AEW. 
I loved what they did up and down the card of all five men on each side. Everybody uh, just went crazy. The interactions between Takeshita and Ishii, please give me that Ishii and Takeshita moment. Give me that singles match, please, someone, because their interactions were so damn great in this match. I loved it so much. Uh, the Young Bucks were on fire here. Hangman and Takeshita, I thought, were really great uh, with each other, too. That's another singles match they have. Um, Moxley and Eddie, you get a little bit of emotional tie-in to this match. Uh, it's so good uh, that they did there. They went the longest on the show, too, to this point as well. Uh, and I thought there was an added energy to everything else on the show. The aggression, the violence that the BCC bring to the table were so great here. And in the end, Ishii got the pin. This is my wrestling. Like This is what I want out of my <laughs> AEW. Ishii never gets pins, even in New Japan, but they gave him the win in this big match. This is my wrestling. This is what I want. I love it. I love this match so much. Uh, match of the year level in America. Uh, fantastic stuff, in my opinion. Uh, it's so funny you say that because at the end of the match, I was like, oh, hell yeah, Yuta's about to get that pin again on Ishii. <laughs> yeah, Because I was just so – I've become so – allergic to the idea of Ishii ever getting a pin again, so it was really... Like, him and, like, Yuki Ishikawa from BJW, I'm just like, they'll probably never win again, but that's okay, I still watch them. Uh, I agree, though, this was my match of the night. Yes! Uh, it's we, a hot we, take, we, I'll take. Like, um, Blackpool Combat Club right now is the best. Like, I don't think they were... I mean, they were not anywhere near as prominent, but in terms of aura... It's like M's alliance to me in terms of just like the ultimate badasses that somehow came together. Like, oh, Yuko Miyamoto and Masakatsu Funaki. Okay, fuck it. I'll take it. You know, um, they make everything just feel so visceral. Such a big fight. There is so much. They can pack so many emotions into elbow strikes. So many different ones. It's it's like they are painters who are able to wield their brush in so many fascinating ways. Um, in my notes, I wrote Takeshita versus Ishii as a vision. Definitely agree on that. It, it's very cool to have those, like, obviously Takeshita is like the, you know, the sole rep for DDT, but still to have that crossover. And it also like bumps me out that it always feels like DDT is the one company that's left out of these big crossovers. And I don't know, you know, why that is or whatever, but to me, like DDT is probably my favorite Japanese company. Um, just so well-rounded, but so I hope they get more crossover because they vibe with everyone so well. My favorite moment in the match and perhaps on the show, and I think that this is just like a perfect example of match structure and like drama, but when Moxley and Kingston were chopping each other in the ring and then everyone runs in and then they come out and they keep coming in. And it's like they are like this sun of violence and everyone else is just orbiting and it's chaos all around. And I just thought it was like this measurement of time that you like feel everything else. And it just I don't know, it, it brought such like intensity to it. And I am such a sucker and just like. Oh my gosh, I love shit like that. Like that is my bread and butter in pro wrestling. Um, when everyone started with the standing ovation, like I started hitting my table in front of me, like it was a ring canvas. Yes. <laughs> um, like it was, it was one of those moments where it feels like I couldn't write something this good, and it was just so well executed. Um, I really liked how 
up until the very end, Moxley never hit Kingston first, if I'm not mistaken. Like, each time, like, Kingston was even screaming at Moxley, what are you doing? You doing and to hitting him first. and then it was like well it's just Michelle but it was like he couldn't make that first strike I could be wrong but yeah it was just so great to page had a great sequence too like you said the flying shoulder tackle into the the forearm smash that just felt like two trucks colliding like <sighs> I don't care. Like I, I, I hope Adam Page hits everyone in the mouth. This guy is so good, and I feel yeah. like when it comes to like the hardest hitting and biggest brawlers, like Page is maybe like the best, but doesn't get brought up in the conversation a lot. I feel like I don't know why. There's just something about his character and affiliation with the elite for some reason. But like, dude, you throw this guy in a BJW anywhere, like he will beat. Dudes up. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's it's the point I made beef. before. I made that point before. Not to cut you off. I apologize. But I said no, this. Okay. Um, I think everybody, I'm not saying he's not, because I think his the heart and soul of the company would be somebody like an Omega. And everyone points to your Omegas, your Moxleys, even Brian Danielson, who obviously I love so much. I think when you look at AEW, like purely AEW, not stuff in Japan or other companies. Page should be considered the workhorse of the company. Like it, in its history, if you point to a lot of the best matches in this company's history, whether it was him versus Brian Danielson, him versus Omega, the tag team stuff with Omega, and now the stuff he's doing with the elite, he's been one of the main guys. I think he belongs in that conversation with your Omegas and Brian Danielsons as the workhorse guy of the company. If you look at the best matches in the company's history, he's in more of them than he's than he's not in. And I think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves as a in-ring performer. Yeah, I mean when we look back at like the beginning of AEW until now, Adam Page is the first AEW hero that we were really able to latch on to and believe in. And if you talk about characters that have had consistency, like I mean, yeah, he had like I, I think of shit like uh you know, his match with Matt Hardy for his contract, right? Like, they haven't always been the biggest billions, but, like, even in then, like, it affected his characters so much. Like, just his character work and consistency, um, I don't know, I, everything across the board, yes, to Adam Page. I'm a big fan. And uh, I don't know, he's going to be like Twin Peaks Firewalk with me or one of those great films that ages and everyone's going to be like, oh, you were so great all along. We love you. And, uh, I mean, which isn't to say, like, he doesn't get his roses, but he's just not like mentioned in the same breath. So I just don't get why. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's not like people, we're not saying he's disrespected, but I don't think he's, he's looked at at the level that he should be when you consider his output mm -hmm. uh, that he's had, in my opinion, my one criticism of this match that I will bring up here. I, I try to be balanced. Like I said, <laughs> you know, take the good with the bad of things. So I will bring up a slight criticism. In my opinion, you mentioned a great point with, with Moxley and Kingston. Mm -hmm. I don't like that they did the – the thing is, so they did the spot where Kingston saved Moxley, right? even though they, they were on a different side, which was a, a cool moment, an emotional moment. The problem with it is earlier in the match, Kingston was already beating the hell out of him with the chops and, and all that stuff before to where you got that. I would have preferred – and it led to Moxley attacking Kingston at the end, which I thought was well done and all. I wish that we had seen that spot 
before they did any phys- like there was any beating on anyone because it's like okay you beat the hell out of this guy and now you saved him like in a matter of two minutes <laughs> like pretty much or, or whatever I, I thought that came across too melodramatic in my opinion if they had done it beforehand I thought it would have been perfect but that's my one criticism of the match great point um, I think like a, a theme on like this second half on the card was moments like that that could be described as like intention versus impact Again, it's like if you would have just flipped that paragraph to an earlier one or whatever, right? Like it would have felt so much better. And then it's like he gets that out of the way in the beginning and then it's just warfare. Um, uh, yeah, I totally agree. It was like um, melodrama that stuck out and just didn't fit in at the moment, especially. Uh, so, yeah. It was kind of like, you know, most of the match, this was like super passionate and violent and you can believe in it at that moment was more like okay they're telling a story now we went from real fighting to okay we're telling a story and if they had done it earlier in the match I could have bought into it a lot better (laughs) knowing the relationship that they've set up with Kingston and Moxley but uh, still a great match though like I said that's my one criticism of it (laughs) overall and I have a lot more criticisms for (laughs) for the next match where we have Tony Storm defending her AEW women's title versus Willow Nightingale and I got a shout out my other show, The Eastern Lariat, because we talked a little bit about uh, some stuff, and I got co- I confused. I've done five shows in two days, so give me some slack on this. <laughs> but I confused the New Japan Strong Women's Title with the IWGP <laughs> Women's World Title as well uh, at one point. So I apologize for that. I got to give Willow her props for the Strong Championship. Uh, and I like Tony Storm as a champion. I didn't love this match, I I have to say. I think that when you compare it to the rest of the card, this was a match that stood out uh, the most to me in a negative way. And Not that it was bad, per se. There's nothing really wrong with it. But I just didn't feel a lot. Like, this match didn't grab me emotionally, and the work was only so-so, I I thought, here. But they did some stuff here in the match we we will call out here, I I will say. they did stuff with the the DVD, the Death Valley Driver start spots with Willow. She dropped her on the apron with it. Uh, we saw her go in with another one where she ran in the ring to hit the next Death Valley Driver. Um, they did stuff with the spray paint, which we've seen a, a normal outcast tropes uh, they've had. So the referee threw them out. Uh, they did that. That led to uh, Tony at one point two. Uh, she got her nose bucked up on a DT, I think, or it may have been on a forearm or something like that. Uh, they did. Um, Willow uh, did her thing, and in the end, it looked like she was going to win. She hit. There was a good spot I liked where they did the hip attack, but Willow countered it with the pounce, which looked really good. But in the end, uh, Tony did basically the exact same thing that MJ did. <laughs> to, to, to win the match after 10 minutes, so uh, they did a thing again. Uh, they showed Sky Blue and Dr. Britt Baker watching backstage. Uh, I thought the finish was so uncreative uh, on here. The match quality was okay. Uh, they did some stuff where early on the Outcast tried to intervene a bunch, uh, and Willow got to look like a beast, kind of. There was some good parts to this, but overall, I have to say this was the one I would point to as like the LVP, like worst match of the night. AEW does not deserve any of its women's talent. It's they do them no favors. Like it's 
it's I'm like this is a match that if it headlined collision last night with like a better ending would have been awesome. I yeah. thought like this was the Willow show through and through. Um, Storm did great putting her over. Like I even wrote the most deflating, the most deflating ending imaginable, indefensible. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no respect for this ending no. from Nello. And I, I was really excited. I was like, damn, maybe they'll give Willow the win, you know? And as much as I like Willow in this position, it's like, this is forbidden door, right? And that's what people want to see. And again, like, I think that in itself just does them no favors. So I wish like they would bring someone else over, right? If stardom can't do it, the, you know, the obvious promotion that people want, I'd be like, dude, bring in Saki Akai, right? Like she's retiring soon. Bring in Maya Yukihi or something to fight Tony Storm. Like bring in like <laughs> anyone else. Like you could bring in, um, like just, I, I, I don't know, anyone. Um, who was it that fought Mercedes Monet, Stephanie Vasquez, or who was it? Vaquer. Vaquer, yeah. Bring her in back. Like, you know, this is a forbidden door. It's not just one single door or whatever, I imagine, or or the door has portals, right, that goes to different places. Um, (laughs) But, like, yeah, like, it's – I think the worst thing about the match besides the ending was just that it was on this card, and that's not its fault. Um, it's hard to get people to invest in something that you throw on without a purpose, I guess, other than to simply have like the representation on the show, which again, AEW just doesn't deserve them. And, you know, I hope, uh, I hope it starts getting better, but I've been saying that we've all been saying that for years. (laughs) That's one of my biggest flaws with AEW, just analyzing these shows and talking about them. The women's division has never been able to get to where it could be, and they've had opportunities. I mean, Hikaru Shida is one of the best wrestlers they have, but her title reign was not that great as it could have been because they never gave her time. They never really introduced these characters that much. Even somebody like Willow, if you maybe if you mainly watch Dynamite, what do we really know about Willow as, as a character at the end of the day, other than she's a good wrestler, like really strong performer, great strikes, big power moves, <laughs> cool stuff, very happy personality. We see bubbly personality. Great work. I'm a big fan of Willows personally, but they haven't explained much about her story <laughs> on Dynamite. <laughs> the outcasts are as generic heels as you could possibly have. You know, uh, uh, at the end of the day, and I, and I like, I think Ruby has did a great job in her promo where she turned. I think mm-hmm. she's worked pretty well. Tony had a great title reign as the interim champ last year, obviously a talented worker. But there's nothing here in this group or anything surrounding them that grabs me emotionally. I just think it's super generic heel work that doesn't deserve to be on the show. Yeah, the women's division is, like, weirdly divided and, like, disconnected um, because – like the outcast, this whole thing has just gone on way too long with no end in sight, no real yeah. payoff. And I mean, you just talked about that stardom we, or we had talked about that stardom cage match earlier, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, I think about like, okay, outcast, right? Like blood and guts. I, I thought the whole time this was going to lead to blood and guts. And I don't even know if they're doing that, but I was like, okay, with Soraya. Tony and Ruby, you can throw in Athena and Taya, right? Because Athena and Taya both have that beef with Jade. And I'm like, bringing Jade in with Britt for the first ever time would be one of those wild moments. Um, 
and then you put in Riho, you could, um, like what, Brit, Riho, Sheeta, Jade, and I would say like Nyla, honestly, like those are really feel like your first five OGs. Um, what about like Hater? So a Hater, like, I think Hater, like, she just came in later. I, that yeah. rhyme. Um, <laughs> Good I love Jamie Hater and absolutely, like, I mean, I, you could take out Nyla for her, but, it was purely in terms of, I guess, like who was there first, who were the yeah, first yeah. champions. But um, I feel like you could do something with it and really like it, it would be like the the Avengers moment that the women's division needs, um, because I feel like that's what this whole feud has been about was like War of Worlds. But there's just been no favorites. It's unfortunate. But yeah, always rooting for better. And the worst part of it is that what you said, like a moment where. You know, it was four on three or maybe five on four. You, you do something where they're outnumbered, the outcasts are beating them down, and suddenly Jade's music hits, and she comes in to save the day, and she aligns and turns baby face. That would be a huge moment. Like, that would get a, a big pop. Uh, yes. Everyone would love it. Yeah, like, have her shake hands with Brit or something. <laughs> like, all five of them raise hands. Like, all that stuff. Uh, turn the tide, make it feel important. And that's the problem with all of this. It's not the wrestlers. I mean, Tony Storm and Willow are both really strong talents. I love what they bring to the table. <laughs> it's unfortunate that they, as a company, that is what's missing, is the effort that they don't put into this division, unfortunately. And if they could get around to that, I think you could do something and make something special that could really turn the fan interest around because this was another match. The crowd had been super hot the whole show. And they weren't here for this at the end of the day. And I totally agree with your point that this even being on the show was a miss in hindsight. And on top of it, uh, New Japan's U.S. Women's Champion gets jobbed out uh, here. So it's like all kinds of things working against it. It has – well, actually, the other matches rated lower. I actually thought the, the six-man later was a little better than this actually. But uh, it wasn't a great match, long story short of it. And we wish – and we hope and we pray that the women can get a little bit more time, but even more than time, they need effort. And if they can do that, you can get people emotionally invested in what they're doing. The same way we saw the last match and the same way we saw the next match, which has the highest rating on cage match, 9.61 on 575 votes uh, one day after, not even one day after, Will Ospreay beating Kenny Omega, 39 minutes. 50 seconds. There's a lot to talk about with this match, so I'm just going to throw it to you on this one first. Uh, what did you think of Osprey and Omega here? Oh, okay. So there's a lot. Like This is one of those ones where it's like the, I don't know, there's just so much to digest. Um, the, my first thought in retrospect, like looking back day after, is this should have been the main event. Um, 40 minutes is an absurd length if you're not the main event. <laughs> like, and I, okay, this is someone whose favorite, like, match length is Noah GHC main event. Like, I love a good 55-minute match or even a 60-minute draw. But I was so fast by and I know we didn't talk hour. I watched it, and, like, me, that drained the majority of my energy. Four matches in an hour, I was just, after, I was like, I wish I didn't watch it. Um, even though some, there was some good stuff, but I was like, man, that was just too much. Um, this, okay. So it felt like at first 
Osprey was spending the match trying to, even though he came out to like the old aerial assassin music, he's trying to wrestle the match like Omega. He is, you know, repeating stuff that Omega did from him, did to him from the Wrestle Kingdom match, etc. And I think like what was interesting to me at first was when Kenny Omega started coming back, it felt like, you know, it's one of those like, I always look back at when Naito was going to win at Wrestle Kingdom and then hit the Stardust Press and lost. And it's like, because he wasn't Naito, he became the Stardust genius again or whatever, right? And it's like that that lack of identity and like trying to be someone who you aren't in certain moments. And it felt like Omega was able to get the upper hand again because Osprey simply isn't as good at like being him. Right. Um, and so then the match gets a lot more intense. Osprey leans way more into his arsenal, starts becoming like really himself. Um, and I was happy to, because I think, as good of a wrestler as Will Osprey is, he is just as bad of an actor. Um, like I think in his wrestling, he conveys emotion. I think through when he's like talking in the ring or he's like trying to do like the bad boy shit, like his Connor McGregor personality stuff. It's just, it really takes me out. Um, the, the work throughout this was like phenomenal. It had, the energy of like the Sammy Reigns match, just in terms of like these false finishes. Um, the one winged angel kick out at one was awesome. I feel it. We, or we don't really get those one kickouts in America as much, unless it's like ICW no holds barred, um, <laughs> which I do love. I have a soft spot for it. Okay, um, I respect it. I respect it. There's no shame <laughs> on the show. <laughs> every every match, so it's kicking out at one. It like out of a burning hammer into glass. It's it's phenomenal. <laughs> um, so it had just a lot of like those really classic Omega big match moments. That said, the callous stuff really dragged this down for me. Yeah, like, yeah. And again, like it was so unnecessary. It's one of those things where like, okay. Like my friend Kevin and I will always talk about like UFC versus like wrestling, right? And how it can be so frustrating when wrestling's back because it's like it doesn't have to be because you could just write it better, right? It's like it was like when they added Charlotte into the Becky and Ronda match. It's like you didn't have to do that and it could have been better, but you chose to. Why? Like UFC's predicated on just hopefully a good fight. Like I know great shows like, hey, we did that. But this is like you could always technically do that if you really tried. Um and he just felt I mean like Don Callis, he looks like a human melted candle. Like he is good at being a despicable, <laughs> despicable man. Like I, w- I was cracking up, and I think like this is what it is. Is I was cracking up at the things he's doing, but why am I cracking up during a Kenny Omega Will Osprey bloodbath feud grudge match? Right? Yeah. Um, and like him coming back out when he got kicked out, I was like, okay, cool. Him coming back out was just total immersion breaking. He's sitting there interfering. You know, Paul's not doing anything about it, and it. It really, I don't know, it, it led to a great false finish with the screwdriver. But even then, that wasn't anything compared to the one wing angel. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that if you remove Callus, it's what do you have? And it's just a phenomenal match still. And then when you add in Callus, I don't know, I think it really takes it out of that match of the year, greatest of all time conversation that it really is dominating right now. So, yeah, th- thanks for letting me rant. I would love to hear your thoughts. No, that rant was very appreciated. I like uh, thank you, Nello, for 
putting your thoughts so eloquently out there for everybody. And for me, I thought I really agree with like pretty much everything you just said. Like if you look at this as a moves match, this was fantastic. Like I even liked the, the first half of this match. I really even liked the psychology of it to where they were clearly directly calling back to the January 4th match that had that high rating and everyone thought was a match of the year level. Except this time, Osprey was the heel, and Kenny was the babyface. Unlike in New Japan, where Osprey was more the babyface and Kenny was the heel, I totally agree about what you said about Osprey, where his acting sucks, and he's actually a great athlete and a talented wrestler. But when he does that stuff, that's what takes me out. And Kenny, I think, has proven over the last a few months actually, he's actually not bad when he tries to be serious uh i like him actually for a lot of the times it's more like with osprey when he's doing that heel crap it's like so bad like all, all the time with kenny it's like because we had to run with him as champion which was very goofy like he mm-hmm. really overplayed it to a lot with the facial hair <laughs> like callous <laughs> part of it the young, the good brothers were around. I mean, oh, we don't want to talk about that. Dark days. Yeah, yeah. He really played into that, but lately he's been more of a serious type of guy, and is good at it. Like in the first match on January fourth, he was amazing. And then they did the spot where he peeked through the broken table with the here's Kenny, which is goofy, and I, and I didn't like. But that was like one bad spot uh, for, for me, and probably popped a lot of his fans that appreciate that with Osprey he's not actually good at it in the first place so I think it really hurt that but I think the first part of the match was really great I like that they made so many callbacks to the January 4th match and that's one thing I'll say this here again whatever criticism I have this match or whatever criticism we all have the one thing you can't question is these two's effort that they put into this match the effort in the match was absolutely phenomenal from both men, and we know that. When the callous stuff happened, I think that, like you said, that really took it down for me to the point where I personally enjoyed like the the first match better. The one at Wrestle Kingdom I thought was better than this. It didn't have the callous stuff. And I also, one thing I didn't like about the buildup, a negative in my opinion, you have this great storyline automatically set up for you. With their match on January 4th, the legendary performance, Osprey trying to get redemption after losing to him. And instead, this whole feud has been built upon, I hate Canada. <laughs> like, why couldn't we go, why, why did we have to go to the overly contrived heel stick? Why couldn't we have had the real story, which is so much more interesting to me? And we saw that with, you know, he grabbed the flag and wiped his ass with it, uh, going in there, which, and we got great heat, uh, pretty much. And then he did the sharpshooter, and that got a lot of great heat, heat as well, obviously. But they did amazing moves. You hit the os cutter on the apron, which looked devastating. Uh, they did stuff with the screwdriver, although that took that took a little too long uh, to set up, in my opinion, to where it would have been effective without it. Um, like you said, made no sense for him to come out afterward. That's a criticism everybody's made at this point, where he got yeah. thrown out. Why would he come out? It was stupid and shouldn't have happened. But in the end, they hit the Tiger Driver 91. Looked, um, oh, my God. 
Yeah, amazing move there. Everyone went nuts over it. And we got the same annoying safety police people that always cannot go away, no matter how much I wish. <laughs> uh, they come out. He hits the hit plate, then the Stormbreaker, and he gets the win. It was a great match, but with flaws to it. And I also have – I have to wonder, one other problem I had here, uh, logically, they made this deal about the security that <laughs> – this match that did nothing <laughs> like they, they did nothing to stop any of this and were not involved in this match in any way i was thinking that it might be like two wrestlers that were involved mm-hmm. that they would set up with the, how they set it up on dynamite but instead it was just a totally non non total non-entity to this match so some poor decision making on some storylines <laughs> and i think this is another thing i think that I said it last week on the show when they were talking about the the interview um, Tony Khan did with John Pollock and Brandon Thurston, where I said on there, he's 85 to 90 percent like great where he needs to be. But then for some reason, he can't get out of his own way on certain things. And in my opinion, in that case was AEW sometimes they're so secretive. Which is one thing, but they're also so secretive on stuff that either A, would not hurt them at all to share, or B, would actually benefit them if they were more open about stuff. And in this case, there was 90% of a classic legendary match here, but they couldn't get out of the way with their overbooking. It wouldn't have hurt Kennedy at all to lose clean in this match. I just refuse to believe it. Uh, and if anything, I think if they were going to do it like this, I don't know how far ahead they planned things out. I think Callis shouldn't have turned until this match. Like, mm. you know, this should have been everything's cool until this match and Callis turns on Kenny. Get nuclear heat, amazing reaction, do it there, and then kind of go where you need to go because they've been sidetracked and they did it in a stupid way. They didn't need to do it how they did. So I think there was 90% of a legendary match, but that last 10% drug it down to where it's just a great, great match that you want to watch. It is well worth watching, but I can't say it was the match of the year level that a lot of people are saying it because of those reasons that we stated. I love Callis turning in this match because that means retrospectively that Wheeler Yuta just gets a clean pin on Omega <laughs> double or nothing yes. no interference just brand new ace I love it um, yeah no and I, I really like what you said about Don turning in this match I hadn't thought about that I was initially hoping for like what had made sense in my head is, is we all usually do as wrestling fans fantasy booking our own things was New Japan gets their match at Wrestle Kingdom they share the match here and I figured Omega would go over here and then AEW gets their match and Osprey wins at Wembley, and then that's the feud. Um, so I was I was really surprised it ended the way it did. Um, again, like in, in addition to just the storytelling, like immediately here, I don't know why this had the U.S. title in addition to it. I don't know if it's been mentioned like in anything, but I don't think either of these guys cared about that title. And when it's just a prop to be exchanged. Um, I don't see the purpose in that because I think there's more exchanged, you know, without the belt here, if anything, right? Uh, emotionally, in terms of like kayfabe power dynamics, whatever. And we've seen um, that before, not to cut you off again, but we've yeah, seen that yeah. before when, when Kenny was the AAA champion in Mexico, where he comes in here and it's like, 
he doesn't even have the title half the time. There's been really, like I said, there was not any mention of this title building up to this match. It was all about Osprey ripping on Canada. And now Don Callis also hates Canadians. <laughs> now, now all of a sudden, even though he's from Canada, but whatever. Why was that the story instead of the build, the redemption, the title, things that can get us emotionally invested? Why did we go to this generic heel trope on, on here? That was one of my biggest questions. And you make a great yeah, point. That title meant, should have meant so much more. Why did faction leader Will Ospreay, who had the United Empire at Forbidden Door, hire Don Callis with his fake-ass security guards? <laughs> <laughs> they, all just, they all just look like what's his name? Nathan, God, the the guy from back in the day from WWE. Nathan oh gosh, Jones. The, yes, but like squished yeah, yeah. some of them. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Okay, and like too, like it's you know going back to you know Kenny is the AAA champion as well. Like um, it's it's this weird like um, I don't know. Like they all converge like. Canadian champion with the U.S. title fighting the British guy, right? Again, it's like that kind <laughs> yeah, of good point. we're talking about. But it's a Japanese company that this belt comes from. Yeah, and, and I hope this kind of sounds poetic, but, <laughs> like, Kenny Omega has the U.S. title, but is he its champion? Or was he its champion? And I don't think in any way he was. And I think that when someone carries a title without being the title's champion, it's just, I think it sucks so much out. Like, I, I don't know, like, it, it just, there was a lot of stuff in addition to just the wrestling, and this is one of those matches where I think, you know, look at something like Kento and Nakajima, right? Like, there yeah. is so much backstory there, there's so much history. And just with Osprey and Omega, like, yeah, they didn't, you know, train and grow up in Kensuke office together, but they are two figures that are very much connected throughout history, right? So just that alone is enough for a story like this, and I think it's that almost insecurity and feeling like you have to overbook these things sometimes. And yep, like we had previously talked about the cage match, right? Trusting your audience to know what's happening. And it's like in movies, right? When they cut over the shoulder back and forth, back and forth during a conversation, what you're telling me is that you don't think this is interesting enough on its own. So you have to dress it up. But I know that this is interesting enough on its own. And because they dressed it up, it just lost a lot for me. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I still would recommend it, but the high rating I can't vibe with. Uh, I cage match, unfortunately. I'd, I'd have to downgrade it a little bit. But it was still a great match, and I will give them credit for their work. I just think that it it could have been something really special yeah. if they had been, like you said, not so insecure uh, in this match. If they had just let him go down clean without the nonsense, maybe put a little bit of time into the title, instead of the Canada stuff, I think we could have had an all-time classic, and I don't think it hit those. But we'll see. Like, time will tell the tale on what the people think of it. They, they had a break match before the main event, and I totally agree with what you said at the start. That match for the crowd was the main event, ultimately. Kenny the Canadian, the action, the moves, the turn, whatever, that should have been the main event. I think it hurt the rest of the show. They attempted to have a come-down match on here with Suzuki Gods, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki versus Sting, Darby Allin, and Tetsuya Naito from New Japan. And I am historically the number one fan of all Sting matches in AEW. I love the chaotic nature of them. I love Sting doing cool stuff. Uh, I love everything about him pretty much. 
we saw some big dives with the table stuff. Um, you know, they did some stuff with um, Darby coming in. He flying in with the Judas effect. Like he would dive into a Jericho, hit him with the elbow. Uh, Sammy did the 630 splash to the table. And which Sting no sold, and somehow Sammy was dead afterwards. <laughs> uh, like Sting was back in the ring within like 20 seconds, and then Sammy never was saw him again after that match. And they kind of told a story where on TV they're teasing a breakup with Sammy and Jericho. And the funniest part was when Darby was talking to him in the ring, and he was like, "It sounds to me like these people love you again." And it was like the most mixed reaction of all time. <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, total fifty-fifty. Reaction like there was not an overwhelming babyface turn. I mean, they were happy. They cheered when he said, "Hey, I'm my wife's pregnant." <laughs> they congratulated him, but they're still not fully sold on him. Even though, <laughs> I, as a wrestler, I think he's really talented. Actually, like I think he's a guy that has a lot of good in his in ring stuff. It remains to be seen, and I think the booking of him is much more offensive <laughs> than anything else uh, because. The way they did it with MJF and him, I think, totally crippled any kind of babyface character they could have gotten out of that whole deal. And now they're dragging it out even more with this Jericho thing. He should have turned on him right away if he wanted to be a babyface. And instead, they're just going along. I don't know what the deal was with Sting, but in the end, he comes in. Naito hits the big thing for the win, and uh, gets the win in about 15 minutes. Uh, to me... This was like a fan service kind of match, seeing Jericho. You could sing along with Jericho's song. You could sing along with the Minoru Suzuki song. <laughs> you get to see Sting, Darby, amazing worker, doing great stuff. Everybody loved it. Uh, you get the big dive to the table from Sammy. It was like a fan service match, but not anything that particularly grabbed me. I'm surprised that the match rating is so low on Cage Match, though. Uh, it's only got a um, like a 5.27 rating cage match right now, which is uh, a lot lower than I thought it would be, but I, I wouldn't. I thought it was better than the women's match personally, uh, but that's about it. We you got to get Striga to add a like a uh, feature to cage match where it says whether or not Knight is wearing his shirt for the match, so you can tell how high stakes it is. Um, and I feel like Knight wearing the shirt sums up a lot of my feelings. I totally agree with you. All of the Sting matches are usually pretty fun, and I think that. You can just see a guy having a blast, and that's always one of the best things in wrestling is just seeing someone have fun doing what they love, right? Um, I I never will understand how Seth Rollins hurt this man with all of the damage he takes and all of the crazy things he does now. Um, like when, like the one thing I really remember the day after from this match was Sammy Guevara like murdering him with like a cutter that turned into like a headbutt. Um, and oh, yeah. he like hit him with the 630 and I'm just like, dude, how is he like, it's wild. Um, I don't know, like this again, this is one of those matches where for me personally at this point, I was like, I do not need the filler. I want to go into Brian Danielson and Okada, like one, cause I'm tired and two, because I have that big match energy and it's like, I don't know, like, uh, uh, you know, I'm very, like, on those big Japanese shows, we don't get these six mans before the main event, right? Like, you're going Naito versus Tanahashi right into Okada versus Omega. Um, right. So, I, again, I think this could have been, yeah, collision main event. Um, I don't know. It bummed me out that Naito's big Forbidden Door debut was, like, in this. I I would have really liked to have seen him 
do something bigger. I don't know. Um, like, I think it could have been like, yes, there's the connection with Jericho, but again, like as a filler match, I don't know if you need to deepen the history so much as just give us something chaotic and like a good kind of just breath. Right. Um, Cause if, if you're putting all this history and everything into it, you're not really giving us a break. You're sort of just demanding more of the attention, which I'll never complain about, but I don't know. A lot of this just didn't work for me. Um, and I'm usually a fan of these sting matches. Darby is the most Seattle skateboarder ever. Everything he says feels so corny and sincere and full of shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, someone who lived in Seattle for 10 years. It's, it's very true. Um, I really hope Sting's retirement matches against Great Sasuke. That's like pretty much my closing note <laughs> on this. That would be my dream. Just it's just both of them putting on the barrel and just jumping off and not even trying to hit each other. It's just them barrel jumping and giggling. <laughs> that would be it. Wow. I mean what a match we could see on the horizon. <laughs> Put Sting and Darby in the Great Space War. Darby could do some crazy stuff with that barrel or whatever, like on there. This is like, that's, that's like true. the match she's made for. <laughs> oh my, I didn't even think about that. It's, you know what? You could do a PLE at like Niagara Falls or something. Um, that I would love be wild. Not where this is going. Yes. Yeah. Like one of those old FMW ring in the middle of the water things. It's just hanging over the waterfall. <laughs> Another genius booking that you will not get on any other show except for <laughs> here. I can't scratch that net, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so you made a good point. Because we were talking uh, with this uh, right before this match happened, we were DMing, and I could tell that like, man, this is it. For, like for me as a fan, this was it for me. Like my body is ready. <laughs> Brian and Okada, this is a match I wanted to see. The dream match, the legitimate dream match, the match that I love so much. I was so happy that he got the main event. I thought for sure Osprey and Omega would. Um, until they announced it on Wednesday. And then the thing is, this match, the crowd was just spent from this whole show, and especially Omega and Osprey. That was the main event to the crowd, ultimately, not this match. So they weren't able to give it as much. They even tried, but they were just a little too tired to take this match to the next level and even feign enthusiasm for it. This match had the crowd not with them completely. Although Brian, because he's such a smart worker, was able to get them in eventually. They did where they were able to get in. He talked about it at the post-show press conference where he wasn't planning to do the yes chant with the arm, but he needed something easy because like, the crowd wasn't reacting to them the way they wanted. So he did it, and that did work. And it kind of turned him kind of babyface in, in this match more or less. This match had a guy breaking his arm, like, uh, uh, after the elbow drop as well. So he's working the rest of this match with a broken arm. And then they have one of the worst spots that I can remember with the fake seizure that oh. happened. Uh, so they've got all of this going against this match. And they still had a match that 99% of wrestlers would dream they could be as good as what they did in this match, but my expectation was for the match of the year in this match, and this this didn't cut it. Like you know, like there's reasons why, there's excuses you can make, and explanations, and everybody's clamoring for a rematch under better circumstances. But if you're just judging this match, 
it didn't deliver to the level that I wanted, at least as a fan. Yeah. Um, like what you described just now reminds me of, um, I think it was like day one of the G1 a few years ago. And I remember Dave, which is talk about this every day, shuffling his papers, just like, oh, Kota Ibushi, Okada opening it. It's going to be a six star match. And then it happened. And everyone's like, oh, 3.75. And, you know, these some of these matches just simply can't escape that hype. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was unrealistically but, high. Like nothing could ever reach that. Like the level, I think. I and we wanted it to be like the match of the year. You can't go in expecting that. <laughs> like, that's not really fair. No, totally. And like, but that said as well, I don't even think that like you have those unreal expectations and then you're kind of like, damn that, like that was what I wanted. But this, I don't think that got close to this as well or either. And a big reason, like you said, is the fake seizure spot. And, um, you know, we had talked previously about intention versus impact with Eddie and John, and this was the big moment for me. Um, you know, the intention here, it feels like, you know, let's remove the actual uh, actions themselves, right, or whatever. Like, it's Danielson needs to possum Okada in, but Okada is also able to kind of play a dickhead role and take him away from the staff, right, and be like, no, I'm I'm going to beat him now. I'm the best. And then, and then Danielson hits him with the knee. You can do that. There are so many other ways you can fake an injury besides a seizure. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like, it's like, hey, man, can you cause a quick distraction? I need to like go to the bathroom. And it's just like, oh, yeah, for sure. And then you just yell bomb. It's like, dude, you did not have to go that hard. Like, I just needed you to like sneeze or something like, please. Um, it just it was so strange. And with Danielson's background, it was just uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I think something else that led into it was the commentary kept talking about how much his fingers were shaking and everything the whole time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think like what makes me happiest about us being able to record today as opposed to, you know, right last night, besides having more energy is <laughs> like, this is a much more fascinating match to analyze in like retrospect, right? Knowing that, Danielson's arm was broken. Um, all of like these new sort of tidbits and it, it's not like the match that I'd hoped for, but I think it is like a meeting that I will remember is like sort of like this, you know, legendary moment. Like the best part of the match is the, the, the beginning, right? When these two figures are just standing there and it's like, you know, for comic fans, it's like Batman staring down. I don't know, Spider-Man or Iron Man, right? It's like, oh shit, how did yeah. this happen? Um, but the fight afterwards just wasn't as good. And yet a lot of just questionable choices. And again, it's, 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 it's frustrating that we're talking about creative choices, bringing down the wrestling matches, right? In terms of Omega Osprey and Okada Danielson. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it, this, um, like, this is a match that's hard for me to almost like rate or really discuss just because I still don't know how I personally feel about it. Um, like my big fear is Danielson's like, I hate wrestling now. <laughs> so that, I don't know why, but I'm just very scared. Just no. broken arm, like doing like the seizure, fucking on my arms broken. I'm just like, no. Um, but I like more than anything, I am so grateful we got it. It wasn't what I had hoped for, but it's still very cool that, we're in a time of wrestling where this whole show even exists. 
I totally agree. And I will say, I still think, like I said, if it was anyone else in any other circumstance and they had this exact match, it would be a triumph match. It's just because it's them, it just didn't reach what we wanted. And it, like you said, it wasn't even the kind of match we wanted. But I will say this. I'm going to give them some <laughs> credit here. Again, I try to balance things out a little bit. Uh, I really loved how – because everyone points to the finish. Like, yes, it's great that Okada tapped out. That's incredible and all. But what I really loved about it is that that tap out with the move that Brian used – was set up throughout the match, like from the, the early goings, going after the arm, and I like how they used that that story. Obviously, with the broken arm with Brian, I'm sure that – well, we know it did. He said after the match, he admitted that it changed, it changed what he was going to do. But still, they got to a decent spot to where, at the very least, I think people will clamor for a round two of this to see, to see what they could do, again, with different circumstances, maybe not – some of these things that we're talking about, no seizures, uh, no seizure spots, please. Uh, you know, uh, and like that's uh, not something anybody – it made you feel emotions you don't want to feel while watching wrestling. It wasn't even heat yes. uh, at, at the end, you know, and it's not even a heel spot. At that point, you are going to be riding with – you know, let's, like, let's say it was real. Your prayers and thoughts are going to be with Brian Dennison if that were real. And I guess you're trying to get heat by saying, oh, he faked it. But actually, I think that's more so heat – on a meta sense for the company, for the booking, for the match itself, more so than one particular person. Yeah, and like the execution of the moment was just like so bad in general. Like Okada just kind of shuffled over and like shoot away. Like the ref and doctor and sort of awkwardly picked up Danielson and tried to pick him up for the Rainmaker. Um, Like it's it's so hard to rate this match. I mean, just it's such a great, Fact that they were able to match, I never even like it's that the arm was broken. I was like, I was just yeah. like, man, he's really selling that, right? And it's wild that in a match where someone breaks their arm in the opening moments, the one thing that sticks out is like an unfortunate creative choice, right? Um, and I, you know, I think that that's a huge positive in terms of speaking to not only their wrestling ability, but flexibility and ability or and, and adaptation, right? Um, so like, again, like, I think that this will be more fascinating to study as like, not so much as like a match is like a moment, I guess, like, you know, Danielson's arm, the seizure spot, Okada, all this shit, like what's happening here. And it's just a lot of weird things. Yeah. That's I'm, a good point. I'm just so grateful we got it. And absolutely. I really do hope we get a round two and Okada tapping out for like, I think the first time since 2015 or something. But even then, like, I did not feel the weight of that. And I wish I did. Yeah, I totally understand that. And um, I wonder how they're going to look back at it at the time. Uh, You know, I think they, whatever you think of this match, there's no question. The It's a testament to the skill level of Okada and Brian Danielson that they were able to get to this level, despite all the things we said. It has an, an 8.27 rating on cage match, uh, which is a whole, whole point at almost a point and a half below uh, Omega and Osprey, and it's below the Elite and BCC as well match. And I think that's something that is a little bit disappointing. Like I said, all things considered, they should be proud of their abilities that they were able to get a match this good despite everything that 
I think we both rightfully criticize. I don't feel wrong in saying those things. And like I said, I think round two is for sure going to happen. Will it be at All In? Will it be at Wrestle Kingdom? I think if you can, uh, you know, if you can push that match back to then and have Okada get his win back in the dome in a classic match, I think that would make up for whatever we feel coming out of this match. Yeah. Um, I guess now, like, I would ask, what are your, like, if you had to pick two matches that you're really hoping for for next year's Forbidden Door, what would they be? That's a great question. Uh, because there's so many things you could do right now. I would like to see, because there's like, there's a lot of big stars in the company. Uh, I'm thinking about where we're at with New Japan right now, who the potential champions could be at the moment. Because New Japan, as I said, they're going for, through a lot of changes right now. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. So I would say I'd like to see a tag team match with Narita and Shibata teaming up like New Japan mm. and AEW teaming up. They have such a great relationship. They had a banging match uh, last year at the Wrestle Kingdom show. I would like to see them team up against an AEW team of some sort. Uh, you could do... I, oh. I think... Yeah, who, what were you going to say? No, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's good. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, oh, no, nice. thank you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate you appreciating my my uh, booking ability here. I want to see Takeshita versus literally anybody uh, on the Forbidden Door in a singles match. I don't care who it is. Uh, there's nobody I I don't think he can't get a great match out of. Uh, what about him and Suji? I think Suji with the beard, the look, Ooh. the power, that would be a unique matchup for Takeshita one-on-one. Oh, man. I, I'm very excited for this year's G1. I will say that. Yeah. On a random tangent, I'm very excited. Um, okay, on your Blackpool Combat Club one, like or the Ren Narita and Shibata, yeah. I would love to see, like... Um, Shibata oh, versus Yuta and Claudio. That's that's my dream tag match. I was yep that, and I was gonna say yeah. even like if you wanted to faction it, add in Despy and Suzuki and put in Moxley and Danielson. Oh, okay, that would yeah, be so could, sick. And then, I guess my big singles one would be MJF versus Naito. That's a nice pairing. Good job. That's a great like. I would, I just see it like opening, and it's both of them just sitting like you know like laying on their corners. And that could be its own, like, Shiozaki Fuchida stare-off right there, except instead of, like, just stubbornness and resilience, it's just, like, total shit-posting. Just these bratty boys I love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Would you write an article about it like you did go in Fujita? Oh, my gosh. If they did the stare-down? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Okay, 100%. Good. I'd write a book. Now, that's what I'm talking about. I'm starting the LLC for it, you know, <laughs> just going all the way in. All my all my investments are into that. Absolutely. I I, I highly approve of that measure <laughs> there. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of great talents. I'm sure they'll come up with some big things, uh, depending on where we're at going forward. You know, you have guys who haven't been in big matches before, at least in singles matches. You've got a treasure trove of guys uh, in New Japan that you could put in big singles matches. And AEW as well. They've got such a huge roster of people. Uh, even somebody like Swerve. I mean, he was with Tanahashi at the Collision Show. If you could elevate him, I think you could put him against a lot of the junior guys as well. Like him, like Swerve versus Hiromu in a match. Say like one-on-one. -on -one. 
I would love that. I think that they would go all out, all out and have an incredible match like that. For sure. Yeah, I think you put Swerve in the G1 either, too. Like, I think he would be, like, the – like, I'm as excited as I am for Kingston, I think Swerve is, like, the perfect AEW candidate for a G1. He can do anything. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. Uh, and we don't know what the status of Ibushi will be as well. Will he be in an AEW at some point? There's a lot of rumors swirling around there, and that can open up a whole other forbidden door that they can knock on next year. So lots of great things going on. I will say uh, overall for me, this show was great, it, even though I, I have very mixed feelings about the main event, and I'm a little lower on Osprey and Omega than most. I still thought this was a great show. It has an 8.85 rating on Cage Match, and I basically agree with that. To me, this is clearly the front runner for the show of the year uh, in America, really anywhere in the world, I think, from top to bottom. It felt special. The crowd was into everything until the end. There were some things that took me out of some things here and there, and the women's match didn't quite deliver for me. But everything else I enjoyed, thought was at least good, and the fi- and the 5-on-5 five five match was absolutely spectacular. The Osprey and Omega match will be a legendary match. The Osprey and Omega match will be a legendary match. And then the main event was what it was, too. So I I give this a full thumbs up. Uh, What about you, Nello? Likewise. Um, Definitely, like, front runner for show of the year for me. I hope, like, as the the, um, collaboration continues and the format sort of evolves, like, we could get that cool sort of forbidden mania tour, especially with Collision the night before now, like, Again, I think my, my biggest criticism would just be the length of the show. Had I not watched Zero Hour, um, it's crazy to think that I would have watched four less matches and maybe that would have helped. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a show where at the end of it, I'm just smiling and I'm like, I am so happy and lucky to be a fan of pro wrestling and I love pro wrestling, you know? It's just, uh, it's that special energy and it's, it's a good time. So, yeah, I really liked it. I hope that, again, that I guess looking forward to next year, I hope that the show's a little bit shorter. Um, like the, the pre-show matches in general, they just – to get people on the card, like there was that LIJ versus United Empire match. And I'm like, is Kyle Fletcher supposed to be the AEW rep in this? Because it's so bullshit. Um, like <laughs> <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a forbidden door match, you know? Um, but I think that's a cool TV match, right? Like I really, I want audiences to get to know these characters better. And I yeah. think by sort of giving them their own tour, you can definitely do that. And then obviously I would like to see not only more than one women's match next year, but just an overall integration of their stories even more, like not just some, the matches made the week before, cause that's just kind of the trend. Um, and I think also, like, even while this is a New Japan thing, you know, like, I would like to see, even if it's not stardom, just other women from other companies come out over, even if it's freelance, you know, like Maya. So any of that would be cool. I guess that's it for me. Yeah, I agree. And I will give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in that I think there was a marked improvement on how they utilized the show this year compared to last year. And it's already been mm-hmm. said that it did better uh, in terms of buy rate by Tony Khan afterwards. So I think if they can take another step forward next year and make it even better, maybe Double or Nothing will be a little bit of ways further back so you have more time to build these guys and integrate them. I think that would be great for them and, and doing a lot of great things. For the women, 
like I said, in the dream world, they would do things right. I think if, you know, the, the way we've been saying that for all of this time, and it's just, it's not clicked at, at the level that you want it to. And if they could just get behind it, obviously stardom would be the dream. <laughs> you can market them as New Japan strong people if you need the New Japan name for it. If you're going to give us what we got here, I think it might be better if they just make them like they're on the zero hour or not on the show to me. Like if you're going to do it half-assed and because it just how many times can we say the women's match was the worst on the show without it being detrimental at the end of the day? I think they need to get that their head in the game to where next year, whoever the champion is for AEW, they can have a match with a starter representative or a New Japan USA representative and they can have a banger match that we know they can have. You know, like we know on the New Japan Strong show, uh, Stephanie Vaquera and Mercedes, which all intents and purposes for me, he didn't say it specifically, but he more or less admitted that Mercedes was probably going to be on the show <laughs> and a part of the plans that probably got changed to this. If it was going to be Mercedes in the match, that would have gotten a lot of hype. The fans would have been into it. Uh, her match with Stephanie on Strong was great. Willow and Momokogo was a great match as well. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, they can do it. They just need to put in a little bit more effort into it. And if you can't do that, then what are you even doing at the end of the day? If you're just going to half-ass it, to me, that's more insulting than not having one on the show, in my opinion. Agreed. But regards to that, thank you so much for coming on the show, Nello. Uh, it was a total pl- Pleasure talking to you. I had a ton of fun talking to you with you the last couple of hours. Uh, hopefully you did too. And I'm just going to leave the floor, set the stage for you, say whatever you want to the people, plug whatever you want to plug, say whatever you want. Um, no, thank you so much. Again, this was a blast. Uh, I don't know why it feels like Friday right now, but I just realized it's Monday. So that's the, that's the kind of good energy I have. Um, yeah, no, I hope we get to do this again. This is really sick. I, I enjoyed the conversation, you know, before we recorded as well, just chatting theory and art and all that. Um, I guess in terms of pluggables, uh, follow at Scythe Dev Team. Uh, it's a video game company I work for. We're working on a really cool new game. You can check out our game, Happy Simple Burger Farm on Steam. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Aniello with like, I think it's three O's at the end. A-N-I-E-L-L-O-O-O. Um, I pretty much just talk about wrestling. I like movies too. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Be on the horizon, I guess, for some more writing. I have some essays up on post wrestling. Big love to John and Way and, uh, my beautiful Just Five Pimps group chat. I love them as well. So that's pretty much it for me. <laughs> Shout out to the Five Pimps right now. We got Here we go. <laughs> but uh, uh, if you want to follow me at Viva underscore zero, uh, always talking about wrestling of some sort. Occasionally, I'm emoing out as well. If you if you like music, you will see that on my page at times as well. Uh, video games as well. Really been into going through the Assassin's Creed series on PlayStation Plus right now. Extra, uh, they have all of them on there. So I'm going through those again, having a lot of fun. I'm big into the video games, and hey, Fight Forever is coming out in just a few days, so uh, everybody keep your eyes peeled for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're gonna, yeah, I'll, I'll do something with it. I don't know if I'll buy it right away. I got to see the reviews on Fight Forever. What do you think about Fight Forever? What's your professional opinion as a video game, you know, wizard? 
right as you said that, I was like, after this call, I'm going to smoke and then DM way and be like, do you want to do a fight forever review podcast? Uh, <laughs> uh, dude, I am so hyped. So we were talking about here comes the pain before this. It's the creator. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the lead dev is the guy who created the hockey engine. So we're talking like okay. all the badass old games, but more importantly, he was the lead dev on Def Jam Fight for New York, which is oh, what any, yes, yes. So anytime like you see the gameplay in this game, like the way they do the finishers, it's just like the heat moves. And so what I'm hoping for is if we can get a marriage of Here Comes the Pain and Def Jam Fight for New York, then I mean that's my forbidden door right there. <laughs> this sounds like you in a matter of seconds. You've brainstormed the greatest video game of all time. So <laughs> congratulations for that. I love Def Jam Fight for New York. I wish that they would bring it back. Uh, even Vendetta was a, fun, a lot of fun to play, but the Fight for New York story was, like, next level great. It's so great. Uh, yeah, the character <laughs> creation, the moves. I, it was freaking so good. Uh, I will forever love that game. And here comes the pain. As we talked about, that's what got me uh, back into wrestling. Without that game, we are probably not here right now. Man. Maybe we would be. Nobody knows the future. We're not psychics. But follow me on there if you want to hear about all that stuff. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for next week. Scott is coming back for a Money in the Bank review. That's going to be another major show from England. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk about that as well. Thank you, Nello, one more time. I want to give it up for you for joining me. Thank, thank, you, you. To the, thank you to the listeners for listening to the show. And until next time, this has been your Wrestle Update. <laughs>